If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. If you will, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This be an easy place to start tonight. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we didn't mention a moment ago, but Billy and Louise are over in Mississippi. Uh, he's doing a gospel meeting at Ocean Springs. Uh, we got a chance to go over there the last couple nights. And uh, on the first night, we had uh, 13. I thought it was 13. Billy said we had 15. So we'll go with 15. But uh, Rosa and, and Hazel and Hilda and Matilda and the Pittmans and the Porters and Misty and I, and uh, Billy and Louise, and who else? Barry was there. We had a good group, really good group. Had a fun time, and uh, um, they had a wonderful service. So tonight's the last night for that meeting, and uh, that's where they are uh, this evening. Uh, so we have been going through a series of questions. Uh, I call it asking for a friend. These are some questions we've been asked, some sub subjects that would, we would like to try to cover, and it's easier to do it in a class setting where we can kind of hit several points and then have some discussion on it. Uh, so tonight, and by the way, all of these, there's 15 of these now after today, and they're all on our church website. So if you go to the very first page of our church website, there's a section that says, Ray's Sermon and Classes, and if you click it, it'll take you to all these slides, and you can download the PowerPoint. So tonight's the same. So if you have your smartphone and you go to the church website, you can download the notes that we're going to go through tonight. So this evening, we're going to spend some time talking about divorce. Uh, this, I know, is a sensitive subject, and uh, it, like the others, there's a lot of ground to cover in Scripture, uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and divorce. And we want to begin where everything begins in the garden. And this is important for us as we begin to look at God's plan for humanity. So, so go back and look at the creation account. It says he created it and it was good. He created it and it was good. He created it and it was good. Comes down to the last day of creation, sixth day. And uh, he creates man. And he creates man, according to verses 26 and 27, in his own image. It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then this little uh, part of it, male and female, he created them. Now that commentary on that verse will take place in the second chapter. But ultimately, uh, Moses is sharing with us here from the creation event, God says it is man's uh, role 
to take care of the earth. That is to care for the animals, to be able to care for, uh, we would say from a, a nature perspective, to make sure that, that, that all things are tended for and taken care of. We're supposed to have dominion over it. So basically from the very beginning, uh, it shows that man, man is the crowning jewel of creation. It was the whole point of creating everything was to ensure that there would be the perfect environment for humans. And so then it says there that God also created the, the female. Now, what about for humans? Because in the beginning, he creates Adam. Chapter 2, we see a little bit more about this um, explanation of how God created Adam. And it talks about how on the seventh day God rested. And then, of course, Adam's given the charge to name all the animals. And as he names the animals, it says there's this word that we hadn't seen yet. And that's the word not, when it said it's not good that man should be alone because man did not have, Adam did not have a helper comparable to him. He just had man on the earth. So God then takes and lets a, uh, a, a actually causes uh, Adam to have a good sleep, all right, a good nap, kind of like I had today. Went home two o'clock and Misty woke me up at six. So, uh I've had a rough week, lots of stuff going on. So I, I took a good nap today. That's not normal during the week. The week. But um, when we, when we uh, see him resting, God takes from his side a rib and creates woman. And the reason why this is important is because in future verses, we're going to see the word begat or begot. Uh, it means to be begotten of, to be taken from. And literally, man is born first. Woman is born second, and she's literally taken out of the man and created. So the idea of begetting or begotten, the begotten of the father, those terms recognize something that is born. And all of humanity, we talk about coming from Eve, she's the mother of all living, but Eve came from Adam. So Adam is the original crowning jewel, the most important part of the creation event. And then he has the teaching that he tells them that they are supposed to go and take care of the garden. They're supposed to not eat of this particular tree. But the main thing is that they be fruitful and multiply. And when you get to verse 23 of chapter 2, Adam says of Eve, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of the womb of man because she was taken out of man. And then therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This was the original plan is that there would be humans on the earth and there would be pairing up between men and women and they would have children and they'd be fruitful and fill the earth. Unfortunately, as 6,000 years have gone by since creation event, uh, there are a lot of things that get in the way that hinder relationships. And so unfortunately, sometimes... Divorce happens. We'll talk about that tonight. Let's look at some of the things that we can see from the creation event first. What does it mean to have a covenant with God? It's very clear from the description of the marriage in chapter 2, and from that point forward, looking through texts in the Old Testament, going to the Old Law, marriage is a covenant between two people and God. 
Uh, here are a few thoughts. One is, it is a contract with a holy God. So that means that you have to uphold your end of the bargain, and you both have to answer to God for the covenant that you've made. Usually today, traditionally in America, we have two people stand up before a crowd. They say, we call them I do's. I do this, I do that, I do this. Uh, so forth, and then we have the final presentation, Mr. and Mrs., to the crowd, and, and everybody claps, and uh, we throw uh, bird seed and go home, right? So that's the, we see that as a marriage uh, event. That's simply just our culture. Most cultures don't do marriage like that at all. They didn't do it like that at all in the New Testament either. But whenever there is a contract that's made with God, we today in our culture will get a marriage license. That's usually the first thing that we'll do. We'll get a marriage license and then come to the building or meet a judge or attorney or whoever. Now you can actually get it done at your bank. So uh, you can go in and, uh, and by the way, you're going to need, <laughs> you're going to need to know that banker if you're married. I'm teasing. But anyway, so the idea is you can get married between you and God. You have a covenant and then there is a contract with the Holy God, and also from our perspective as Americans, a contract with the state saying that we're going to be bound to this person legally. Um, also, it's a commitment to holy work. This means that you are together working. In the old law, specifically looking at this creation event in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve had tasks to perform together. She is called a help meet. That means that you work together in the marriage to do good. And so uh, we look at like Matthew 6 and verse 33 about priorities, seeking first the kingdom of God, and that's what the marriage is about. We have a contract with the Holy God, a covenant, a vow that we've made to God to take care of each other until death, and then we do good work together. Then another thought here is this uh, compulsion to live a holy life. God has always wanted his people to live a holy life, to be separate, to be uh, peculiar, as Peter says it. And so by, by fulfilling the vow I've made to God and then being married to someone who also is in covenant with God, we are working together for holy things. And so part of that means that we are going to try our very best to raise any children that are born into this home to learn the truth, to be able to follow the truth. And uh, as Jason just mentioned a moment ago, in, in the, the wise man, the foolish man, uh, we've got to choose the wise way of life. And God's goal is not just to make a holy covenant with his people, but specifically with families, where at, in our homes, God is elevated and exalted as God. We believe in the inherent uh, biblical authority from Scripture. We believe that as an individual in my home, I'm going to do my very best to stay in covenant with God. So for your spouse, there's a plan there. For your parents, there's a plan there. For your children, if you have children in that, that, ham, that family, all of these things are a part of God's work on the earth. He works through us, through our marriages, and through our families to do great things. So two things real quick. One, marriage is a holy covenant that is made between two people and God. That's what marriage is. The state says, uh, you know, it, we, I've said 20 years ago that it wouldn't be long before you'd have marriage licenses where you could marry anybody no matter what sex. That's already here. Uh, we are moving towards, in 10 years, you can marry someone who uh, is either non-binary or they could be a dog or a cow or a cat. And you all laugh. We think that's crazy. This is the direction we're heading. So that contract with the state is for legal purposes. The covenant with God is when two individuals say we love each other and we are committed to God for the rest of our lives. So divorce should be avoided. 
Whenever we are married to one another, we promise. Usually the vows include something like this. In sickness and health, for better or worse, for rich or poor, and until death parts us. And so that's, the, that's what God's goal was for his people, was to stay together. God hates divorce, there's no question. Those of us who have been through this before, we know that it is, it is a dreaded, terrible thing to have to deal with. So unity is what is essential. It's the same thing in his church. God wants unity among his people. There shouldn't be division. So when we look at this covenant and we look at marriage as a whole, marriage is about companionship. So some things on the screen here, you know, it establishes the covenant. It, it's, it blesses our conversation, uh, our communication with one another. It strengthens our commitment. Uh, when you have someone there that's kind of helping you, uh, I know if, if you've ever gone to the gym to work out, it's good to have somebody there to kind of cheer you on. And when I was in high school, I always had guys workout buddies. We'd go and, you know, we'd yell at each other and, you know, you can do it, you know, and so forth. You got a little motivation. Uh, in our marriages, we need a partner that will lift us up and say, you can do this. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something we can do together. There's prayer, there's Bible study, and there's a commitment to going to church to be able to be faithful uh, to the Lord. So marriage was meant for companionship. Marriage was also meant for cooperation. Again, working together. We love one another. Uh, we work through our emotions together. We give gifts and we minister together. All of that is part of what God's design was for marriage from the beginning. So marriage is meant to bring two people now as one in order to complete us physically, psychologically, emotionally, sexually, conversationally, relationally, spiritually. You could add a whole bunch of things to that. But it is ultimately two people who leave their father and mother and are joined together and now have become this new, what we say, a holy union their own little entity, and as the Bible teaches us, not just in Matthew, or not just in uh, Matthew 19, not just in back in Genesis 2, but there are several places that remind us that the two become one flesh. So it's like you are now molded together and will be for the rest of eternity. One of my favorite things to do down here on the beach is what they call a sand ceremony. And it's better if you have two different colors of sand. So the groom has, uh, let's say, blue and the, uh, the, the, the bride has pink, and you take the two kinds of sands, and you slowly pour inside of a vessel the two different colors, and it is impossible for us to take every grain of sand out of that vessel and not have a, a, you know, there's a, 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 a pulling apart, or it would take extreme difficulty to try to get everyone out. So our lives are forever meshed, especially if we have children. We are bonded to that person for the rest of our lives. And that's something I tell our kids all the time is that, you know, you, you get all worked up in your emotions and, you know, here you are, this 16, 17-year-old kid, and it is the greatest thing of your life to have someone that shows you attention. And, you know, we're going to get married and we're going to do this and that. And you don't realize you're binding yourself to that person and to their family for the rest of your life. Um, I had a friend who he and his wife went through a divorce and they had to go two or three times back for uh, court to go through tax documents because they were getting audited. And they were like, we're never going to talk to each other again, ah, except for 2012, 2013, and 2014 because we're going to get audited. So you are constantly connected to the person. Uh, if you do any internet searches, you type in somebody's name, that person who you've been married to will always pop up for the rest of your life and their parents and their siblings so be very careful before you make a covenant with someone. 
So what about divorce? Well, divorce under the old law, there's specific scriptures we might want to consider. We don't have time to go through all these tonight, but they are on the website. Divorce, first of all, in the old law was permitted if there was a bill of divorce. Jesus mentions this in Matthew 19, so let's turn over there real quick. Uh, And he clarifies, I love how Jesus does this, he clarifies when asked about divorce what God's original intent was. So this is Matthew 19, and we'll start at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So you kind of see where they're going. Verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, this is the key to the whole section, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce, to put her away? Why is that in the old law? Why is that in Deuteronomy 24? Why did Moses make that, uh, we'll say, addendum, not necessarily a change, an appendix to the original command in Genesis 2? Well, so Jesus gives the explanation, verse 8. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her is also uh, a divorced uh, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Of course, Jesus explains that's not necessarily true. That you can, it's, If you don't marry, you can certainly live a celibate life and a holy life and a pure life, but you will have temptations that marriage is supposed to take away. So divorce was permitted because Moses wanted to give men, would you notice that? Men to divorce their wives, not wives divorce their husbands. In the old law, women had no rights like that. They were considered to be property. And so Jesus is saying, as he said in the Sermon on the Mount, it used to be said of old, but now I say. So he's saying we're going to put a spiritual connection to marriage, and that is that unless it be something that breaks the covenant in a sexual way, then a divorce is not permitted. And Jesus is making that law, that rule, that command to be enforced in the New Testament church. Uh, divorce was permanent if a spouse was neglected for food, clothes, and sex. You can go to Exodus 21. You can go back and read some of the uh, literature of some of the rabbis of Jesus' day. And this, again, has nothing to do with the woman going to court. She had no rights, privileges, or ability to speak in a setting like that. She'd have to have someone to come in and fight for her. But if a man says his wife is barren and can't have kids, or his wife burns the toast too many times, or if she does not provide uh, him sex as she is supposed to and required by law, or if she does not make for him clothes as she has been instructed by her husband, then divorce was permitted. And Jesus says it's not going to be like that under the new covenant. These, these kinds of things where Moses says you can just divorce anybody and remarry anybody, that's going to change. Another thing, too, and this is a big one in Deuteronomy 22, under the old covenant, if you got married, 
and your spouse told you that they were a virgin and you found out after the fact, you could put them away. And not only that, you could have them stoned for it. Now, that's the old law. That takes it pretty serious. In fact, I don't have time tonight, but I could go through and explain to you the way that their marriage rituals took place. And they had a very public viewing on visibility for your entire family at that marriage feast for everyone to know there was no question that the woman was a virgin. I'll leave that to your own uh, study. But it was very clear to the whole crowd that she was, and because of that, uh, the marriage was blessed. But if she was not, then she was to be put to death. The husband had the right to do that. Um, divorce was also permitted uh, for sexual morality, which, again, that's, that's held under the New Covenant. A divorce was uh, permitted if covenant marriage was only observed by one partner. So like in Ezra's day, Ezra lines them up and says, hey, look, some of you have been married to pagans, and you need to divorce them. And if you don't, then I'm going to write your name down for the rest of eternity. And that's what he did. So one person was in covenant, one wasn't. And if the person that was not in covenant would not adhere to the law of Moses, then you were supposed to put them away. And uh, then divorce under the new law. Here's the, here's the two things. One, it's permitted if there's sexual morality. Jesus says if there's sexual morality, then divorce can take place and remarriage. The same thing's taught in Mark chapter 10. The second one, it is permitted if the non-Christian separates, but that does not include remarriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Jesus, or pardon me, Paul says, and it's briefly highlighted in a section in Romans, but in Corinthians he says that if they're willing to depart, you have to let them depart. And that means that separation can occur, and we might argue from our standards for a legal perspective, divorce might occur. But that does not, that does not give permission to remarry. The remarriage part is from what we see in Matthew 19. So those are the only two things under the new law for divorce. One is if they're sexually immoral, and two is if they separate, you are allowed to let them go. Doesn't say anything about remarriage. So the remarriage part, number four. I'll go through these very quickly. Widows are taught that they should remarry. In fact, Paul's thought in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in Romans 7 and 1 Corinthians 7 is he told women, if you're under the age of 60, you have to remarry. Now, that's Paul's opinion. Uh, it's not very popular today. But he said, if you claim to be a widow and you're under 60 years old, don't expect the church to pay your bills. Don't expect the church to take care of you. You have to be on the roll. He calls it a widow indeed. So if you are a widow under the age of 60, Paul says, I tell him to get married. Um, again, that's not very popular, but that was Paul's decision that the early church needed to support the widows that were really widows, that did not have anyone there to care for them. So he says the younger women that are widows, they should remarry. That's chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 9 and verse 14. The only biblical reason, this is important, the only biblical reason, the only biblical charge by which someone could follow to remarry after divorce is if there's sexual immorality. This is uh, from, again, Matthew 19. Uh, you could see it emphasized in Matthew 5. You can see it in Mark chapter 10. But this will give you the gist of it. The word that's used there, we just read in Matthew 19, is the word porneia. It's the word we get pornography from. So sexual sin, sexual immorality, some translations today say marital unfaithfulness. Well, that's left up to interpretation. You know, we might say somebody's unfaithful if uh, 
if you know, something small happens. He's saying there has to be sexual morality. So porneia, the Greek word, means any sexual sin. So it doesn't necessarily have to be adultery. It could be, um, it could be bestiality. It could be homosexuality. Uh, it could be uh, the sexual abuse of children, sodomy. All of those things are listed underneath pornography. So if your spouse has become committed in a covenant to you, but they're broken, they've broken that covenant and made it with someone else, they haven't protected the marital vows, then you have a right to divorce, and only in that case are you given the right uh, to remarry. And that's, again, from Matthew 19. So if those biblical reasons have been met, the church should encourage marriage. We shouldn't be standing up here. There are some religious groups that do this, and they tell you if you're really holy and you're really special and you want a place of prominence, then don't get married. Uh, keep yourself from, uh, from abstain from sex for your entire life. And here's the hard part. The churches that teach that have consistently had issues with sexual morality of children and of others, because when you tell someone they are not supposed to give in to a desire that God created them to do. Remember, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Anybody got strawberries growing out of their fingers? Grapes? Figs? Anybody growing watermelon out of their feet? No. What does bearing fruit mean? Okay, we know what that means. That's sowing seed. So God says, I'm going to create you, and I want you to go create other kids, you know, other people, other children. So if you tell someone who has been created with a purpose to be a sexual being, that they should not be sexual, then that will become a vice for them. And so these religious groups that believe in celibacy, you will see the leaders of those religious movements constantly given to sexual sin, because it's a human thing. Uh, we're created to, to have other little humans. So marriage of the right person begins with honoring covenant with God, Scriptures abound on here. Scriptures abound with stories and warnings about marriages of ungodly people or marriages that are bad. Uh, I will put in this uh, polygamy. It never works. You could ask Abraham. You could ask Jacob. It's, it doesn't work. Technically, Jacob had two wives and two concubines, but ultimately four women that he was trying to please at all time. And they get into some crazy stuff in Genesis. In fact, uh, it, it's really interesting when you see how crazy the culture is. Uh, I I will wait until it drops, but there's supposed to be this week an announcement by a religious movement. I won't say which one, but they endorsed polygamy, that they are going to be re-endorsing polygamy, uh, saying that the law of God supersedes the law of man, and they're trying to make it legal in their state. Uh, but the idea is polygamy never works. It never works. Um, marriage also is a metaphor for the covenant of God with his people, so he will call us the bride of Christ. He will talk about, under the old law, Israel is mentioned with a female uh, personification. They'll say she or her uh, in a feminine way. So God has always seen covenant as he is the, the male, as we would say, and we are the, the female. Do not be unequally yoked. This is another reason why people often go through divorces, because we marry someone who uh, does not believe as we do and does not uphold their end of the covenant. Uh, is, have you ever had, maybe as a kid, I know I played sports a lot in our neighborhood, and you would play games, or maybe you've been over to somebody's house and you're playing a board game, and they have a totally different set of rules. You ever had that before? Where you're like, now wait a minute. No, we don't play by those rules. And somebody's got to break out the rules, or if you're playing basketball or flag football, you say, here's the rules, here's the boundaries, here's the lines. It's good to start right off the bat with what the rules are. 
Well, in marriage, if you're marrying someone who is not in covenant with God, you may make that marriage holy, but they're never going to be able to make it holy. So be careful before you marry someone who is a, who is a non-believer. So these, and this, again, that's a totally different part. All three of these are separate, three separate subjects. We're just doing the best to get through them. Last slide. So what are the adversaries of biblical marriage? What, what's going to keep us uh, under strife? What's going to lead to divorce? What's going to lead to um, disharmony? Well, here are some things. One, unholy thoughts. Job says, I make a covenant with my eyes. Again, sexual morality is grounds for divorce and remarriage. So pornography, sexual sin, avoid it. Don't even think about it. And people say, well, I don't know why you know, my, this person cheated, or I don't know why they did this, or why they did that. Well, it's, sometimes it's the culture that they've been raised in. Sometimes it is they, again, weren't in covenant. And other times it's because of the entertainment value. There is no doubt that because of the rise of entertainment, we're seeing a rise in divorce. Uh, people are watching and reading books on pornography all the time. There's a new show, a new um, a reality TV show, and I forget the exact title, but the show itself is based on one that was in Britain, went six years, I think, uh, in Britain, and now they're bringing it to America, where the goal is to have a date with two naked people. Because that's what you should base your whole life on, is what somebody looks at in the, in the prime of their life naked. Okay, and that's just, that's crazy. But there are people who will pay dollars to watch shows like this, where it's all about that physical aspect. So don't look at things that are unholy, and you won't get them into your head. Uh, unrealistic expectations in marriage. You know, when, when we got married, I expected this and I expected that. That can lead to divorce. Uh, unmet priorities. I put this first, you put that first. For some reason, one person wants to put work first. Another person may say, well, it's my kids. But ultimately, it's supposed to be spiritual things. Unbridled lust can lead to uh, divorce. Unauthorized sex, that's premarital sex or adultery can lead to divorce. Unbiblical partners, someone who does not agree to follow covenant. Uh, unrecognized boundaries, there needs to be boundaries. We talked about this, Misty and I did in our podcast last week, is that we have to have accountability, and if there is uh, something that is going on, a temptation, or if there is a relationship with someone who is outside of your, your family, and you're putting that relationship first, it can cause a disruption and lead to divorce. And then ungodly practices uh, also in this little section. So I, I wish we had time. We're, we're out of time. But um, I will say this one thing before I close. God hates divorce for a reason. And for those of us who've had family members or we've gone through it, one of the main reasons is because God has always had a soft spot, if you will, for children. And there are so many times over and over in Scripture that God will talk about taking care of children. He says in Matthew 18, if you cause one of them to stumble, tie a millstone to your neck, go swimming in the depth of the ocean. Jesus says, don't forbid the little children to come to me. God has always wanted to take care of kids. And as an adult, we are man or woman enough to be able to handle what we're going through. But children go through a difficult time. And, and it's, it's uh, oftentimes like a, a death to them. Uh, their whole culture, their whole livelihood, everything has changed. And so if anything, before we get married and after we get married, we need to continually renew that covenant, if not just for us, but for our children. Because I can tell you that there are times that as you get older and you watch your children struggle with it, 
you will wish that you made certain changes along the way. So think about the kids. If you've gone through a divorce or you know somebody who's gone through a divorce, really take time with those children. Love on them. Communicate to them that this is not their fault, that this, there is no re- don't, don't make it a competition. I, I wholeheartedly believe parent alienation, you know, uh, poisoning of the well, if you will, of a child, uh, I would argue is grounds to go to hell. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.